Next will allow us to provide the necessary resources to relocate, expand, and improve our church home. It's been clear for months now that we've maxed out our space in our current facility. A new church home means greater opportunities to pursue those far from God and our community with the hope and love of Jesus Christ. Next is an investment in our future and in our friends. By relocating our church home and upgrading our facilities, we can increase our local ministry and invest in the lives of more people who need the hope and new life that only Jesus can offer them. It's time now for the people of Cross Point to step up. God has given us the incredible opportunity and privilege to participate in His kingdom work here in Northwest Atlanta, to see lives changed in ways that can only be explained by Him. But with that incredible privilege comes great responsibility. We are being asked now to respond to God's faithfulness and generosity by providing an unprecedented amount of resources so that our church can step into what God has for us next. Um, we start, first uh, started coming to Cross Point City Church. It was actually Oakleaf at that time. We had been um, talking with some people that were wanting to start a church in Cartersville. And um, we heard about it in 2005 and started meeting with the launch team. There's probably about five other families um, in 2000, January of 2006. Well, when we think about what Crosspoint means to us, I think about biblical teaching and an opportunity to serve both on the weekends and all throughout the community. Our whole family serves together. Um, but also, I mean, we can't talk about it without thinking about it being family. I mean, the, the relationships that we've built at Crosspoint uh, just mean the world to us. Uh, it's community and it's our home. When I think about Crosspoint, I think about our kids. I mean, really, this is the only church that our kids have known. Um, and they have all been in from preschool all the way up um, to youth as of right now. And all four of them have come to know and accept um, Jesus as their Savior and Lord and have been baptized at Cross Point City Church. I remember Brayden even was baptized out in front of the movie theater. theater. And um, we have another thing that has been really meaningful to us is that it really has changed our perspective on reaching our community that we live in. Um, we, we, it really, our perspective has been um, broadened to, to really reach out to those who do not know Jesus. And yeah, for us, it's, it's faith in action. I mean, it's not waiting for people just to show up on Sunday, but the, the vision and ministry of this church, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's just taught us so much about going out and reaching out to people, not waiting. Uh, and, and going and showing them the love of Jesus. And then, and then making Jesus the, the focal point. Uh, it, it's so clear both on a weekend service and just throughout the, the staff relationships and the people that go there that and they love Jesus and they want to glorify Him uh, with their lives. So that just, it just means a lot to our family and, and how we're trying to raise our kids and, and the examples that we're trying to be. Yeah, and so what's really exciting about where we're going next um, I, I sometimes look at um, all the people that are in every single service and how full it is. And it's just exciting that there's a need for us to go to the next level of um, providing more space for people to actually come in and join us in this vision of reaching the community um, for Christ. And so it's exciting. Um, we've, we've been in a movie theater. We've been in a school. We've been in um, a bar. 
And so our church is not defined by our name, nor is it defined by um, where we meet, but it really has, um, it really is Jesus' church. Well, we're 100% behind what's next for Crosspoint and this next initiative. And we've been talking as a family about what we can sacrificially give and what lifestyle changes we can make so that there's more money available for this next initiative. Well, can we thank Jonathan and Dana for sharing their story with us? Love that couple. Great, great people. Uh, well, today we are kicking off a brand new series called Next. And for the next four weeks, we're going to talk in detail about what's next for our church, where we go from here. Uh, we can look around this morning in this room and see that there is a great need for us to do something so that we can continue to reach people in this community who, who desperately need Jesus. And so um, I want you to do whatever you have to do over the next four weeks to be in the room. We have four options every Sunday, so just pick a time and come, all right? But it's critical that you're here. Uh, before we dive into the message today, I do have just one quick announcement. You may have noticed on your way in today some road signs uh, letting you know about something happening on the 15th. If you uh, don't realize you're sitting on something, just kind of lift a leg up and reach under you. you. You should have one of these reminder cards in your seat as well. I, I am really, really excited about what we're doing in just a few weeks. On Sunday, November the 15th, which is what we're calling Commitment Sunday. Some of you guys, you know what I mean when I, I say that. Others of you, you have no clue. Don't worry, we'll make sense of that for you over the next few weeks. But on Sunday the 15th, we are going to do one gathering as a church that day at the Clarence Brown Conference Center here in Cartersville. So let me just make it simple. Don't show up here at 10 o'clock, okay? Uh, or at any other time. If you show up here at any other time, you're going to be sad. You're going to miss out. We want you to show up. 10.30, Clarence Brown Conference Center, Sunday, November 15th. We're going to put our whole church in the same room at one time, and we're going to celebrate what God has done in the past, but we're also going to make some commitments to what we believe God wants to do in and through our church as we look out toward the future, all right? So just a few things. Uh, I want to encourage you to be there early that day. Stick this on your fridge as a reminder. Oh, yeah, don't go to the House of Rock. On, uh, on, on the 15th, go to Clarence Brown and be there early. We'll open the doors around 10 a.m. And, and I want you to get there early because, look, you're not coming to church with, with 300 people that day. You'll be coming to church with over 1,000 people that day. And so you need to get there early to get a, a place to park, to get a seat. So, so make sure to get there early. Um, second thing, help us spread the word, okay? Uh, talk to your friends about this. Talk about it in your groups. If you serve in our church, talk about it with those serving on your team. Just make sure that everyone you know who is a part of Crosspoint knows about this special day, okay? And if you've been inviting friends or family members who don't currently attend Crosspoint, invite them there. Invite them to join you there on the 15th, all right? So again, take these, put them somewhere where you see them every day so you don't forget. Uh, one other quick thing I'll mention, we are going to provide child care that day at the conference center for all kids, uh, birth through five years old, birth through five years old. If you have an elementary age uh, kid, kindergarten through fifth grade, we want you to bring them into the room with you that day. We feel like this is an incredible opportunity to bring our kids. We've been talking to our kids and, and we're continuing to talk to our kids about what's next for our church. So we want them to come in and join us 
as we as a church family celebrate that and commit together to the future, okay? If you have questions, let us know, but uh, don't miss this day. Don't miss this day. It's going to be huge, and I just can't wait, all right? Well, look, if you have a Bible or if you have a device with some kind of Bible app on it, uh, grab those things. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. If you're new to Bible reading, new to church, Nehemiah, it's in the Old Testament. So the front half of your Bible, if you'll flip to the middle of your Bibles and find the book of Psalms, just flip back a few pages, past Esther, past Job, and you'll run into Nehemiah, okay? Nehemiah chapter 1, that's where we're going to be. Well, I'll go ahead and let you know today's message is about leadership. I'm sure upon hearing that, some of us were ready to check out, right? Why did I come to church today? We're already assuming this message is not for me, and and here's why. Because some of us in the room, we don't consider ourselves to be leaders, do we? But I'm hoping to prove you otherwise today. Listen, every person sitting in this room has the potential to be a leader in some area of life. All leadership is is this. It's simply you using the influence you've been given to impact your world. So moms and dads in the room, you have the opportunity each day to use your influence uh, over your children to to impact their lives. You can can use your influence each day to shape them, to change them, uh, to guide them as they walk through life and, and as they walk out into the world. Students, you have the opportunity day in and day out to use your influence to impact that school you go to. As a citizen, you have the opportunity to impact this nation as a neighbor, your neighborhood, as an employee, your workplace, as an individual, your group of friends. Again, all leadership is is you using the influence you've been given to impact your world. Now, before we keep going, I want to speak to a select group of people in the room for a moment if I can, all right? Listen, if you were a star athlete growing up, a cheerleader, or if you were that person voted most likely to succeed in high school, here's what I want you to hear me say, okay? Please don't miss it. God can use even you. (laughs) Now, why is it important for you to hear me say that? Well, the reason's simple. Because when you look through the pages of Scripture, God rarely uses the star athletes, the cheerleaders, Those voted most likely to succeed, right? More oftentimes, God uses the ordinary, underwhelming, unassuming person that no one would ever expect him to use. I mean, consider David with me, if you will. When God came to the prophet Samuel and he instructed him to go find and anoint a new king for the nation of Israel, he sent Samuel to David's family. And David, uh, I'm sorry, Samuel saw all David's brothers, these tall, handsome, successful men, And in his mind, he's thinking, well, these are the guys I'm supposed to choose from. But God says to Samuel, no, I I need you to go out into the field. There's a little kid out there. He smells like sheep. Nobody really sees his potential, but I see his potential, and he's going to be our guy. Or think about Gideon. Right in the book of Judges, we find uh, the nation of Israel being oppressed by a people known as the Midianites. And God comes to this normal, average Joe guy named Gideon. And he says, I'm going to use you to turn this thing around. I'm going to use you to free my people, to change the course of your nation. And Gideon says back to God, there must be a mistake. God, I think you picked the wrong guy. My tribe, we're the least of the tribes of Israel. 
my clan, we're the least of all the clans, my family, uh, we're the least of all the families. God, I'm the least in my family. I'm the runt of the litter, if you will. God, surely you didn't mean to pick me. And God says back to Gideon, no, no, Gideon, I, I didn't make a mistake. People like you, those are the people that I use. And in the story that we're diving into today, we just see more of the same. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the story of a man named Nehemiah. A man who at first glance appears to be a nobody. He's a slave. Uh, his dad was a slave. His grandfather was a slave. But God used this man in extraordinary ways. Now, to really fully understand Nehemiah's story, uh, I need to give you a brief history lesson today. If you're like me and you're not a fan of, of history lessons, this might be a little boring, but stay with me because it's going to help provide the context we need for the verses we're getting ready to read in a moment, all right? So check this out. You can turn your attention toward the screens. I mentioned a moment ago, David, he was the second king of Israel behind a guy named Saul, one of Israel's most famous, well-known kings. Uh, after David came his son, Solomon. And Solomon was one of the richest, wisest men that's ever lived on the face of the planet. God actually gave Solomon the great privilege of building the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Well, after Solomon, the nation of Israel fell into a period of deep sin, and as a result, the kingdom actually split. At this time in history, the nation was made up of 12 tribes. So 10 of the 12 tribes split off, and they formed the northern kingdom, which remained Israel. Two of the tribes split off and formed the southern kingdom known as, as Judah. Fast forward to 772 B.C., a powerful people known as the Assyrians, uh, they move in, they defeat and conquer Israel. Almost 200 years later in 586 B.C., the Babylonians move in and they defeat and conquer Judah. And in doing so, they tore down that majestic, unbelievable temple that Solomon had built. And the walls around the city of Jerusalem, walls that were meant to protect the city and its people, were also torn down in the process. Well, if you go to 539 B.C., uh, a new group of world leaders emerge, the Persians. They move in and defeat the Babylonians. And we don't know why, but, but the Persians, they decide to be nice to the people that the Babylonians had captured uh, when the Babylonians defeated Judah, they not only tore walls down and, de and destroyed temples, they kidnapped people. They took the people of the city into captivity. Uh, if you know the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you might know that these were some of the Israelite men forced into captivity by the Babylonians. If you don't know their stories, uh, get the Bible out, read the book of Daniel. It's fascinating what God did on the behalf of these men. But, but these people that, that had been kidnapped, the Persians, out of their kindness, they allowed a remnant of those people to return to their homeland, to return to the city of Jerusalem. And 19 years later, in uh, 520 B.C., a group of these people rebuilt the temple. It was nowhere near what it had been in Solomon's day, but they did the best with what they had, and they rebuilt it. But the walls around the city remained in ruin. And this is where we're going to pick up in Nehemiah 1. In Nehemiah 1, it's now the year 445 B.C., 445 years before Jesus came to earth. Nehemiah, as I mentioned earlier, he's a slave. And he's a high-ranking slave. He's working as the cupbearer to the king. All that means is that he was the guy who got to taste all the gourmet food and all the fine wines the king ate and drank before he ever ate and drank them. And, and I know some of us were thinking, killer job, like sign me up, how do I get something like that? But, but I'll stop you. The reason he did it was simple. 
to make sure that no one was going to poison and kill the king. So Nehemiah, he was the crash test dummy, if you will, the the guinea pig. So here he is, this high-ranking slave. Slavery is all he's ever known. He has no concept of a world in which his people are living in freedom in their own land, experiencing the blessing and favor of God. And, and as a slave, he starts hearing what's going on in his homeland. And we're going to pick up and start reading here, chapter 1, verse 2. Check this out with me. This is Nehemiah speaking. He says, One of my brothers came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah, he hears what's going on, that that people in the city are suffering, they're in trouble, and it absolutely devastates him. It breaks his heart to the point that that he goes to God in prayer and in fasting. And in prayer and fasting, God meets him and he gives him a God-sized vision for his life. 150 years after the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed and torn down, God gives this slave, this nobody, a vision to rebuild those walls. And here's what's crazy Nehemiah rebuilt the walls in 52 days. Think about that. He's a nobody. He's a slave of a slave of a slave, and he changed his world in 52 days. How about you? How about you? Nehemiah impacted his world. Are you impacting yours? Are you using the influence you have been given to change the world around you? Are you being that leader God wants you to be? Look, if we're going to answer yes to that question, there's something we need to understand. And and we see this reflected in Nehemiah's story. It's this. That all great leadership begins with a vision. And and I want to be careful here. Like, I want to clarify what I mean when I say vision. Because I, I think people get confused when they think about purpose and vision at times. But purpose and vision are two entirely different things. Purpose, let's start there. Purpose never changes. Purpose is static. So, for example, as a follower of Jesus Christ, your purpose is to know Jesus and make him known. All for your joy, the glory of God, and the good of people. That never changes. But vision is different. Vision is that ever-changing next step. A vision answers the question... What's next? Look, I'm going to give you some homework today, all right? I'm going to ask you to join me for the next 30 days in asking God that question in regards to your own life. So for the next 30 days, I want you to pray and I want you to say to God, God, what's next for my life? On your way out the door today, you're going to get one of these prayer bracelets. I'm, I'm wearing one and, uh, and I'm going to ask you to wear it for the next 30 days so that you're reminded to do this. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. If you show up to church next week and you don't have your prayer bracelet on, somebody's going to hand you another one, all right? We want you to wear these. Look, I get it. I hate wearing these things, but I'm going to do it because I believe it's that important. But I want you to strap this thing on. And for the next 30 days, I want you to ask God to show you what's next for your life. 
For some of us in the room, it's going to be finally taking that first step of faith and saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord. The next step for you is, is going to be you asking Jesus to forgive you of all your sins, to make you a new righteous person and to take complete control of your life. For others, your next step is going to be baptism. Maybe you know Jesus, but you have never climbed into that tub and, and been dunked to publicly identify yourself with him. For others, uh, it's going to be you finally pushing aside excuses and getting to a group here at Crosspoint so that you can grow in your faith, so that you can get to know people and be cared for as a part of this church. For others, it's going to be you finally investing, maybe for the first time, financially in God's church and in his kingdom. For others, it's going to be you serving someone or, or somewhere. And then for others in the room, it's going to be you finally verbalizing your faith in Jesus to those within your sphere of influence. I don't know what's next for you, and you may not know at the moment either, but here's what I do know. Anytime we humbly ask God what is next for my life, God, show me how to be a leader. God, show me how you want me to use my influence to impact the world around me. When we ask God to give us an answer, he always answers clearly. It begins with a vision. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you, if you're going to see that God-given vision for your life clearly, there are some different lenses you are going to need to look through. Have you ever been to the eye doctor and they put that big machine in front of your face and and the eye doctor, he flips through all these lenses and he says, one, two, one, two. And it goes on forever. And, and finally, by the end, you're looking through lenses that provide clear, crisp vision. Well, it's it's kind of how it is when it comes to God's vision for your life. If you're going to see that vision clearly, there are a combination of lenses you need to look through. Four to be exact. And when you look through all four at the same time, that's when God's vision for your life starts to become clear. So let's talk about the lenses, all right? First. You're going to have to look through the lens of what is. The lens of what is. Uh, think with me, if you will, back to verse 2. W what's the question that Nehemiah asked those men that came to him? Remember what he asked? Guys, what's going on in Jerusalem? I want to know. T tell me what's happening. In other words, Nehemiah, he wanted to know what is or, or what was. Can we be honest? Some of us don't, do we? Some of us don't want to know what is in our lives, right? Like some of us, um, we, we don't want to admit what is currently going on in our marriage. We don't want to be honest about that. And we're having a hard time seeing what God wants our marriage to be because we're unwilling to admit where our, our marriage currently finds itself. You with me? Some of us, we don't want to admit what's really going on in our families. Uh, in our communities, in our neighborhood, in our church. Some of us don't want to admit what's going on at, at school or at our workplace. And why? Well, because when you finally admit what is, you become responsible, don't you? It's almost like uh, when you turn on the TV and you see that commercial with those hungry kids. And you're trying to find the remote really quickly so that you can change the channel. You know what I'm talking about? Some of us are channel changers when it comes to what is in our lives, aren't we? What I love about Nehemiah is this, he didn't change the channel. He looked intently at the problems in front of him. He wanted to know every detail of what was going on. I remember the first time I traveled to Burkina Faso, West Africa. It was back in 2008. I had heard stories 
of families living in such poverty that they were being forced to let their children starve to death. That in many cases, parents, they would pick one or two of their children to feed and take care of while their other children slowly wasted away. Well, I'll be honest, like when I heard it, I couldn't believe it. I was like, there's no way that's true. Like, I, I never heard of anything like that. And then about five days into the trip, I saw it. I'll never forget, we're sitting in the courtyard of this pastor's home, and we're there to talk with him about clean water. And I noticed that there was these two little boys running around. One of the boys, he was nicely dressed, well-fed, well-taken care of. The other little boy, he was probably four or five years old. He had no pants on. He was covered in dust, head to toe, snot smeared on his face. He had a swollen belly, and his hair was falling out due to malnutrition. And the missionary we were working with at one point looked at me and he said, James, there it is. He said, those two boys are the pastor's sons. This family has so little that they're only able to care for the one while the other dies a slow, agonizing, painful death. In that moment, sitting in that courtyard, I had what Bill Hybels calls a holy discontent moment. I thought to myself, someone has to do something, and it might as well be me. Right? I knew I couldn't do everything, but I was sure I could do something. And in that moment, God gave me a vision to act on behalf of those that Jesus calls the least of these. But it all started with me seeing clearly what is. The second lens is this, the lens of what should be. The lens of what should be. Now, I, I want to point something out because I don't want us to leave confused. All right, stay with me. Please notice that I did not say the lens of what could be. Are you with me? There are many things that we could do with our lives. We could be like so many other people and focus solely on, on nothing more than building our careers, padding our 401ks, making a name for ourselves. There's so many things we could do, but oftentimes what we could do becomes the enemy of what we should do. You see, should do is about moral imperative. It's about you being so deeply convicted that you have to do something, you have to act, because it's the right thing to do. If God's vision is our vision, there are some things that absolutely have to happen in all of our lives. Look, I'll go back to Burkina for just a moment. I remember coming home from that trip, and I started wrestling with what should be. And as I wrestled, I started seeing the solutions to the problems. You see, in Burkina, one out of three children die before the age of 10, most oftentimes due to preventable causes like starvation, lack of clean water, uh, no access to medicine or health care. So the student ministry I was leading at the time, I called them to take action. I asked a bunch of high school kids to start raising money to build clean water wells in Africa. I asked a bunch of high school kids to put $38 a month on the line to sponsor children through Compassion International so that these kids across the world could have access to healthy food, clean water, and education, health care, and most importantly, the chance to hear about Jesus on a weekly basis. If you've ever wondered why our church does those things, that's why. When you see clearly what is, you start to see what should be. And when you see what should be, you have to to do something. Now, here's what's great about seeing what should be. Three things, all right? First is this. When you see what should be, it provides motivation. I'll just go ahead and tell you to realize that God-given vision for your life, along the way, you'll have to do some unexciting, mundane things. 
You'll get tired. At times you'll want to quit. You'll want to give up. But if you know what should be, that should be keeps you motivated to push through and to keep going. I mean, think about it like this. Imagine if we all found out a flood was coming toward the city of Cartersville. And so we rallied the church together and we decided we're going to build a wall. And so you show up with your shovel and you start shoveling sand into bags and, and you start stacking those bags. It might be exciting for the first 30 minutes, right? But then your back's going to hurt. You're going to get blisters on your hands. Nobody's going to come by and pat you on the back and thank you and, and tell you what a great job you're doing. Other people are going to start leaving because it's dinner time. And you're going to have to make a decision. Well, do I quit? I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Do I, do I give up? And then you're going to remember there's a flood coming. And there are people out there who are depending upon me to build this wall. When you know what should be, it keeps you motivated to see that vision God has for your life realized. Secondly, when you know what should be, it clarifies the path to take. It clarifies the path to take. So in other words, if you know what is and you know what should be, it really becomes as simple as connecting A to B, right? Now there are a series of steps between A and B, but when you're not living in denial anymore and you're honest about what is, and when you know what you should do based on what God has called you to do, it clarifies the path you need to take to see that vision for your life realized. And then lastly, when you know what should be, uh, it, that should be, it provides a set of priorities for you. You need to know that when God gives you a vision for your life, there are going to be a lot of things distracting you along the way. People are going to try to put other agendas on you. What you could do will attempt to distract you from what you should do. And oftentimes those distractions aren't bad things. They're good things. But you need to know today that oftentimes the good becomes the enemy of the great in our lives. When you know what should be, you're able to push through all those distractions, no matter how good or noble they may seem. The third lens is this, the lens of responsibility. The lens of responsibility. Every vision needs a champion. Someone who's willing to step out in front of the pack and say, someone needs to do something and it might as well be me. Look, isn't it easy to assume at times that somebody else is going to do that thing that you know needs to be done? It's easy to make that assumption, isn't it? Look, that's the difference between a dreamer and a visionary. A dreamer says, something needs to change. A visionary says, I need to change something. So let's make it practical. Let's say you're a mom or dad in the room, and you're praying for your kids. You're praying for their school. You're praying for their friends. That's great. Look, keep praying for those things by all means. Don't stop doing that. But what if you took more responsibility in prayer? What if you lumped yourself in? What if you started praying, uh, God, would you change me? God, would you change something in me that I might regain moral authority in my kids' lives? God, Holy Spirit, would you produce in me that fruit that Paul talks about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, so that when my kids look at my life, they're able to say, I want what mom has. I want what dad has. For those of you in the room that are praying for your lost friends, your lost family members, Please don't stop. Keep doing that. But what if you lumped yourself into your prayer? Like what if you prayed and, and you said to God, God, let me be the prime catalyst in helping them to find their way back to you. 
God, change something in me. Change my attitude. Change my demeanor. Change my actions, the words that I speak. Make me more like Jesus so that when my friends and family members see my life, they're instantly drawn to you. What about this? For those of you that are praying for our church, you're praying, God, provide God, do something for us. Change some things here. What if you started assuming more responsibility in prayer? Like, please pray for those things. But what if you saw yourself as someone responsible? Look, newsflash in case any of us have missed this. You are the church. You get that, right? You're not a customer. You're not a consumer. You're not a responder. You're not a spectator. The church is not this building we're sitting in. Cross Point City Church is the people sitting in the seats today. And when you see yourself as the church, well, you start to act and pray differently, right? Look, it doesn't matter what vision I get on this platform and share with you. Do you want to know what really matters? What really matters is when you get on your knees and you say to God, God, show me what's next for my life, and you get an answer to that question and you assume responsibility, and then you act. You see, when you do that, that's when this church becomes the church it needs to be. And why? Because you are the church. The fourth and final lens is this, the lens of God's greatness. The lens of God's greatness. Uh, go back to the passage with me, if you will. We're going to read verse 5 together. Nehemiah, he goes on. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven... The great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So let me stop here. Look, I think the reason some of us don't have a great vision for our lives at times is this. Instead of focusing on God's greatness and all that he's capable of, don't we at times tend to focus on our inability, on all of our weakness, and on all those things that we just know we can't pull off? And as a result, here's what happens. We walk through life not making great changes, but simply making slight adjustments. Can I tell you the solution? The solution is to do what Nehemiah did. To fix your sights on our great and awesome God who is faithful and committed to us as his people. A God who loves us, whose love doesn't depend on us, but on what Jesus has done for us. When you set your sights on his greatness... That's when your vision for your life becomes God-sized. And I need you to know when that happens, it's scary. It's overwhelming. And it will drive you to your knees in prayer. This is what we see happening for Nehemiah. He gets this God-sized vision for his life. Nehemiah, I want you as a slave of a slave of a slave, a nobody, I want you to be the guy to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah, when he got that vision from God... He spent the next four months in prayer. I don't know what goes on in your mind when you hear that. Four months? It's hard for me to process. I tend to be uh, the ready, fire, aim kind of guy. Like if I know something needs to be done, I want to do something about it, and we'll figure out the plan as we go. Some of you, you can identify with that, right? So again, when I hear he had this vision and then he didn't do anything but pray for the next four months, it's hard for me to process, but there's a great lesson to be learned from Nehemiah about the relationship between vision and prayer. It's a lesson all of us, including me, need to be reminded of today. Here's the lesson if you're taking notes. That persistent prayer is vital to the vision. Persistent prayer is vital to the vision, and here's why. Three reasons. Because in prayer, the vision matures. Look, when you go to God and you pray about that vision that he has for your life, 
God will begin to give you greater clarity, supernatural clarity, if you will, on what is, on what should be, and on your responsibility. Secondly, what happens is this, the visionary matures. So not only does the vision mature, but as as you pray about that vision, you mature. Look, you know that's the goal of prayer, right? We don't go to God in prayer to change him. We go to God in prayer so that he can change us. And we pray and we ask God what's next. And and, and we start getting clarity on his vision for our lives. That's what happens. God grows us. He changes us. He burdens us with what is and what should be. And then finally, when we persist in prayer, the plan matures. The plan matures. Nehemiah, he'd been praying for four months. And one day he's serving the king. And the king notices, the Bible says this, that Nehemiah looks sad. And so he asks him. Nehemiah, what's going on, man? You don't seem like yourself today. And Nehemiah responds and he says, well, king, I've I've heard about what's going on in my homeland. My people in the city of Jerusalem, people that I love, people that I care for deeply, they're suffering, they're in trouble, they're vulnerable. And the king looks at Nehemiah and he says, is there anything I can do to help? Think about this, if you will. Before Nehemiah was ever born, the sovereign God of the universe knew that he would place him one day in front of the only world leader who had the power and resources available and necessary to pull off that vision that he had planted in Nehemiah's heart. And here's Nehemiah now standing in front of that leader, the king, and the king is asking him, his slave, what can I do to help you? Anything you need from me? Isn't that unreal? Now, what do you think would have happened if Nehemiah would have looked at the king and said, well, king, you know what? Let me think about it for a while. I don't don't quite have an answer for you. Can I get back to you? You think he would have had an opportunity like that again? Probably not. What I love is this. Nehemiah was ready when the king asked that question. Nehemiah, is there anything I can do to help you? And Nehemiah said, well, you know what, king? I've actually been praying about that and thinking about that for the past four months. And there are some things that you could do to help me. Four things to be exact. First, I need a letter from you so that I can travel through all the kingdoms I need to pass through. I need people to know that if they hurt me, they hurt you. I want those people to know you have my back. Secondly, I need access to your forests so I can get all the lumber I'm going to need to rebuild the wall, to fortify the gates of the temple, and to build myself a house. Uh, Third, king, I'm going to need some authority to do what I need to do. So I need you to make me the governor over Judah And then finally, I need a leave of absence from my job. King, you're going to be tasting your own food and drink for a while. And I love that the king is so impressed with Nehemiah that he looks him in the face and he goes, yes, 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 yes. Let me take it back to the question. Do you know what's next for you? Do you know how God wants you to use your influence to impact and change your world? If your answer today is no, here's my next question. Have you prayed about it? Like Nehemiah, have you prayed for four months about what's next? Let's get more realistic, all right? Have you prayed for four weeks about what's next for you? Can we get really honest? Have you prayed for four minutes about what's next in your life? Maybe that's why it's not clear to some of us today. Every week, I bring my message to the same place, the place of prayer. I always call us to pray about whatever it is we've talked about. 
We ask for God's presence. We ask for God's help. We ask for God to do things in our lives that only he can do. And that's how we're going to close today. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God starting today to show us what's next for our lives. So will you join me? Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. As you're kind of settling in, I want to encourage you right now just to focus your heart and your mind on the greatness of God. Get your mind off your inability. Get your mind off your weakness. Get your mind off the week you've had, where you feel like you're lacking. Right now in this moment, would you just remember that God specializes in accomplishing improbable, impossible things. And most oftentimes, he does it through ordinary, unassuming people that no one expects him to use. Let's focus our hearts and minds on his greatness, and let's let his greatness encourage us as we pray. Father, God, we just need you. We're just confessing that in this moment. We need you. God, we need uh, clarity on what is next for us. God, I truly believe that there are so many amazing things that you want to do in and through this church that our best days are ahead of us. But God, I also know that if we're going to realize those days, if we're going to see those days come to pass, it starts with us as individual followers of Jesus Christ. It starts with us being willing to say yes to you in obedience to whatever it is you're calling us to. And so God, today we're asking for a couple things. God, one, would you just show us what's next for our lives? God, show us that the vision that you have for us. Give us clarity on, on how you want us to use our influence to change and impact our world. And secondly, God, would you give us the faith we need to believe that it's possible, that it doesn't depend on us, it depends on you. God, we want you to take our lives and, and to use them in ways that only you can. We don't want to miss out on what you want to do in and through us. God, as a church, we don't want to miss out on, on all the plans that, that you have for us collectively together as a body. And so, God, well, we're just asking you to show us what's next. God, that is our prayer today. God, we love you more than we can express in words, and we thank you for your great love for us that you have poured out on us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, may we look to him day in and day out. We pray all these things in his name and in his name alone. Amen. Amen.